Welcome everyone to the Selling Greenville podcast. I am your host, Stan McCune, realtor here in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we are just here uh, living the quarantine life, you know? It's, uh, it's a great life. We got a lot of yard work done over this past weekend. The weather was really nice for a change. Of course, it uh, went straight back to rainy. Uh, but I think I think we are almost out of the woods in terms of the rain. Um, so unfortunately, we're gonna have to stay inside a, a good bit while we have some really nice weather. But you know, we'll probably be going outside a little bit and trying to enjoy the nice weather as much as possible while we socially distance ourselves from uh, from all the people that could potentially be spreading dangerous viruses everywhere. So uh, be responsible while you're outside, but also we're about to enter a season where we have some of the nicest weather in the area. So I hope we're all able to enjoy a little bit of time outside. Um, But in the meantime, as we listen to this podcast, I would appreciate if y'all could uh, rate the podcast, review it, subscribe to it, download it. All of those things help uh, the algorithm that Apple and Google and uh, Spotify and all these other uh, podcast players that we are on, it helps them uh, to basically get the word out about our podcast to other people that might be interested. So I would appreciate if you guys could go ahead and do that, and uh, that would help go a long way to to keeping this podcast going and, and making it relevant for other people that might be interested in it. Now, uh, we've gotten past that. If you need to contact me, by the way, uh, you can find all of my contact information in the show notes. Got my email address, got my phone number. I mean, you can text me, you can call me. Um, I'm no celebrity, I'm just a realtor. So listen, if, if we've never spoken before, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to communicate with you. But today, we are going to be kind of pivoting away from uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 related podcasts, but staying in kind of that same vein because I'm getting a lot of questions right now. What What is going to happen? What sh- what's the market going to do? How do I play this the right way? How do I play it safe? Um, do I time the market or attempt to time the market? I'm getting tons, tons of questions from, from people who um, are looking at buying or looking at selling or are considering it. Um, there's a lot of anxiety right now. And so today we're going to be kind of looking back at 2008. What are the lessons that we learned in 2008, right? When the great, what became known as the Great Recession happened. What are some of the lessons that we learned back then on how to survive a recession. We're going into a recession. I think um, that is pretty much guaranteed at this point. It's more the the question that we have is how long is it going to last? Is this going to be, you know, um, just a few months, we get the virus under control, and then our economy rebounds? Or is this going to be the kind of thing where there is a domino effect and things really, really get bad before they get better. We've talked about that in other podcasts, so I'm not going to get into all, all of that speculation. Let's just be practical here. How do we weather the storm? How do we play it safe 
when we are in a recessive type of economic environment. Now, let me start by saying this. You might not want to play it safe during the recession. Playing it safe is not always the way to go. Because sometimes people that, that think they're playing it safe are actually selling low and buying high. What I mean by that is, what's the worst time to sell your, uh, your stocks right now? If you're, a, if you're a shareholder in some different companies, what's the worst time to sell? I mean, probably right now. Unless, of course, um, the whatever company is that you own uh, stock in, if that company is at risk of, of completely going under and you losing all that money, well then, of course, you want to consider selling. But for a lot of really stable companies, you know, like the Amazons and the Apples of the world, I honestly, I would... I'm no investment expert, okay? Let me just get that out of the way. In fact, I've gotten a few people asking me questions about what should I do with my stocks. Listen, I don't know what, what you should do with your stocks, but I'm just speaking in general terms. You generally want to hold on to when when the market gets bad. You don't want to sell when things are bad. That's the worst thing that you can do. Well, a lot of people think that that is the safe thing to do. And as it comes, as, as it pertains to real estate, they'll start liquidating properties when they're scared that a recession is going to happen or, or they'll try to sell their house when they're afraid a recession is going to happen. Um, don't react in that way. Uh, if you got to sell your house, you got to sell your house, right? It, do it doesn't really matter whether a recession is, is here or is coming, et cetera, et cetera. But don't respond to the market changing by, by panicking and saying, oh my gosh, I've got to sell everything. Um, that's oftentimes the worst response. Okay, so we're just going to kind of get that out of the way. Um, that wasn't one of my 10 lessons from 2008, but that's just something to consider. Um, it, it, there's not always virtue in mitigating risk in a recession. And sometimes the way people define mitigating risk is actually... Um, is, is actually causing them to sell low and to buy high. And that is the worst thing you can do. That's actually the most risky thing that you can do. So just keep that in mind. Don't be so conservative that you end up doing the thing that you're trying to avoid. With all that in mind, I do have 10 lessons here that I want to discuss as far as how to survive a recession. Now, a, a little bit of quick background. I entered the workforce in 2008. That was when I graduated college. Great time to enter the workforce, right? Um, two years later, I started looking for a house. So I, I have a lot of real-life experience in a recession type of environment, and um I have spent a lot of time going back and actually studying what happened back then in the real estate market. So I'm, I'm certainly not the, the foremost expert on this, but I have both real life experience. I have both uh, book knowledge of what happened. I've looked, I've studied the statistics, the averages, everything, what the market did. Um, it's, it's a very interesting and a very fascinating tale of of what happened when you go back and look at everything and put all of the pieces together now that we have it all um, that we can go back and look at in hindsight. But the number one thing that I think 
you need to do. Okay, and this goes for anyone with, regardless of what you're trying to do. If you're investing, if you're looking to buy or sell for yourself to as a primary residence, the number one lesson from 2008 that applies to us today is you need to have multiple exit strategies. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I want to flesh this out a little bit more. Multiple exit strategies. What does that mean? Well, let me try to explain to you what that might mean. Let's say that you buy a property that, let's, let's use a, an investment strategy. You buy a property that you intend to flip, okay? So you're, you're into flipping houses. There's a property that you find out on market, off market. You're able to buy and you're, you feel like you're buying it for a, a good deal. And you feel like there's enough equity there that you can take that property and then sell that after you've done some renovations to it, sell it, make a profit. Okay, great. What happens if you can't do that? What happens if the economy completely crashes and nobody wants to buy that house? What happens if um, your contractor runs out of money and ends up having to go out of business? You end up uh, finding yourself only being able to find contractors that cost more money and now your profit margin goes away. You need to be prepared for the worst case scenario for something like that. So having multiple exit strategies might look like this. Maybe your that property, you can take and turn that into a rental property and you're able to cash flow it and you're um, not going to financially strain yourself by holding on to that property long term and keeping it as a rental. Maybe that's a good option for you. Maybe another option is maybe you're buying it with enough equity that you can just do what they call wholetailing, which is, um, I'm, I'm not going to get into a ton of spe specifics on this, but um, there's a, an area of real estate called wholesale real estate. And simply listing your home on the market uh, with a realtor, that would be considered like retail, typically. A home that is in good shape you're just listing on the market, trying to sell it for market prices. That would be retailing. So in between these two strategies is wholetailing. And wholetailing is basically you take a property that's not in good shape, but you list it on the open market for a discount. And you have someone come in, hopefully, usually an investor, that buys that property at that discounted price, and then they do the work. Maybe they want to try to flip it, or maybe they want to keep it as a rental property. Who knows? Um, so maybe that's one of your options. Maybe you start with that. You try to wholetail at first. Wholetailing doesn't work. Okay, now I'm going to try to flip the property. All right, let's see if I can, if I can flip it. Oh, my contractor just bailed on me for whatever reason. All right. Um, I'm just going to do a few basic fixes and then I'm going to rent it out. No problem. I've rented it out. My rent covers my mortgage, my taxes, my insurance, all of that. Um, and, and I'm okay with having forfeited out the money in the, in the short term that I spent buying that property. All is good. We're not going to have any issues. That's an example of having multiple exit strategies. You can go in multiple directions. If one plan fails, then another plan will work. What's a bad idea in, in using that example 
is if you have all your eggs in the house flipping basket. And now, uh, for whatever reason, you can't turn around and sell that house and you've got all your money tied up in it and you need that money, now you're in trouble. What you're gonna find yourself doing is you're gonna find yourself uh, probably selling that house at a loss or you're gonna find yourself in some major financial trouble. You do not want that to happen. Similarly, when you're um, just purchasing as a, as a primary residence, there are some, uh, some similar things that you run into there. An example of, so, sometimes it's easiest to contrast what uh, an example of not doing this is before we get into uh, examples of what doing it would be. So an example of not having multiple exit strategies is let's say that you're like, you know what, I want a bigger home. I'm not sure if we're going to be in Greenville for, for much longer, but I, I'm sure that if we buy this home and then, you know, need to move in a year or two, uh, we should be we should be fine. It should have appreciated value by that point and we should be able to sell. Um, that's not having multiple exit strategies because you're putting all your eggs in the appreciation basket and you're assuming that your house will appreciate and that uh, if you run into a situation where you need to move, that all will be good. You won't have any issues. You will be able to sell it You'll be able to, at the very least, break even and make a little bit of money or whatever it may be, and then you can then you can sell. Um, that's that's not a good way of approaching it. You want to have maximum flexibility. You want to be able to say, if it's a primary residence you're looking at buying, for instance, okay, I can buy this house, and in the worst case scenario, I can just live it live here for several years right? That's the worst case scenario. Or in the worst case scenario, it's like, okay, even if I lose my job, the, the mortgage that I have to pay is not that bad. Um, that's an example of thinking from a multiple exit strategies point of view. And that is the most important thing that you can do. Do not limit yourself with your buying or selling. There are still a lot of opportunities out there, and and usually when we're going into a recession, that's when the best opportunities are out there. But you want to make sure that you don't, in, in an attempt to take advantage of the opportunities, cause more stress on, on yourself, on your budget, end up causing yourself to be uh, restricted and limited to only being able to do one thing or another. You want to have as many options as possible at your disposal. That was the first lesson. That, that one we took the most amount of time on. Hopefully some of these will be a lot quicker, but that one is the most important, so we spent a lot of time on that. All right, lesson number two from 2008 is don't stretch your budget. This is what so many people did, right? They said, okay, I'm pre-approved for $250, uh, sorry, $250,000. Okay, let me see all the $250,000 properties that are out there. Uh, listen, maybe what you need, you have to go to that max part of your budget. But for most people, that's going to be a problem um, if the economy continues to tighten up because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. A lot of people are going to suffer pay cuts if this ends up being a long-term thing. We've already had a large percentage of the economy, of the workforce, 
start to have uh, pay cuts and be laid off, don't aim for the very top of your budget. If you can find a way to go beneath the top of your budget, absolutely do that. And sometimes the best way to do that is to find fixed or upper properties. And there are um, loans out there, renovation loans, that allow you to purchase those fixed or upper properties and basically finance the cost of the repairs into the loan. Now, there are some challenges with those. They're not the easiest to get to the closing table, but I've got a lot of experience with them. That was how I bought my first house. I can, I can help you work through that if need be. Um, the third lesson that we learned from 2008, and this one is, is really specific to 2008, um, and, and I, but I think it applies today as well and to future recessions, is that you want to stay away from densely urban areas. But you want to understand that when the market does bottom out, those areas are where the best opportunities lie. All right, so here's what I mean by that. In Greenville, we don't have a lot of like densely urban areas, but obviously downtown Greenville, um, some, some little neighborhoods around downtown Greenville are examples of that. Um, those are the areas that are going to be hit the hardest when the next recession like really hits us, whether it's this or whether it's another one in the future. Those are the areas that typically get hit the hardest because they're being inflated by a lot of different things. For instance, downtown Greenville has a really awesome Main Street. Well, guess what? That Main Street doesn't look very awesome right now. Um, we're in a, granted, an, a bit of an unprecedented situation here, but in 2008, a lot of those storefronts were empty. We had people that, um, you know, businesses that ha ended up going bankrupt, that they ended up having to, to move out. The commercial real estate industry was hit really hard uh, back then, and part of that was that it was hard to, to fill these, some of these storefronts. And so some of the appeal, a lot of the appeal for, for these more urban regions, for, these, for the city centers, the downtown areas, a lot of the appeal of those areas kind of gets hurt and, and doesn't completely go away, but goes away a decent bit when, um, when they get hit by a recession. And so those are not the areas that you really want to be targeting if you're trying to mitigate risk in the short term. Now, like I said, the market bottoms out and there might be some really unbelievable deals in Greenville, in the west end of Greenville. There might be some deals that we haven't seen in 10 years. You just need to realize that those uh, areas might not recover as quickly as the other areas around Greenville. It might not be a, okay, you know, after one or two years following, you know, the worst part of the recession, everything is, is basically recovered. That's probably not going to happen downtown. But once it does recover, it'll start recovering on a different scale than everything else. And so if you can wait five, six, seven years, again, have, having multiple exit strategies, multiple ways you can go that you're not just hemmed in, okay, I've got to I've got to be able to move on this property in two to three years potentially. If you have that flexibility, there will be some opportunities. But if you're wanting to play it cautious, 
stay away from, from the dense, the more dense urban downtown areas. Number four, multifamily properties, okay? And I've got a lot of clients interested in multifamily. Um, they're going to be in a recession type of, of economic environment, a lot of great deals on multifamily properties. And that's because they get hit really hard in a recession. And so that can mean a few different things. One of those is that you don't want to be selling your multifamily property during a recession, for the most part. Hold on to those properties, keep them, take advantage of other parts of the market. Those are in a lot less demand. They have a lot less demand than single family homes do during a recession. Um, they got hit, multifamily in 2008 to 2010 got hit extremely hard, just kind of kept kept seeing their value go down and down and down. There's a, a lot of different reasons for that. Um, but you need to just keep in, keep that in the back of your mind. If you're a potential multifamily buyer, like a duplex, triplex, quadruplex, those types of properties, understand, again, that those are the ones that get hit the hardest. So those there are great opportunities to buy, not a lot of opportunities to sell. Make sure you don't put yourself in a bind where you need to sell one and can't. Number five, be careful with selecting your builder. Um, one of the big things that happened that uh, took a lot of people by surprise between 2008 and 2010 was how many builders um, ended up just kind of going under and just disappearing. We had a, a lot of them in this area go under both the big production builders and the smaller builders. And so if you're planning to do new construction, even if it's a if it's a big time production builder, understand there is a risk of them going under and if they go under there that just causes a lot of complications for you. You need to just keep that in mind. Like that's not that doesn't necessarily mean avoid new construction, but just understand for instance Here's what could happen. You could say you're you're buying into a neighborhood that's being production built by a big builder. You get your home built, great. They're in phase one or phase two of development. They're planning to do three phases of, of development in the neighborhood. By the time they get done with phase two, they're out of money and they're broke and they go under. And now you've got a big part of your neighborhood that's not complete. And you have an entire phase of construction that needs to be done, and it's not going to be done by that builder. It's impossible for that builder to do it. They are now no longer building. They are out of business. You end up, you might end up in a situation where, where your house uh, or where your neighborhood just has an entire part of the neighborhood that is undeveloped, um, more likely at some point. Uh, you're going to have another builder come along and then they start construction. You might not like what that builder does. There are all kinds of things that can happen. And it's similarly, and, and honestly more likely, if it's a smaller builder, just a, a, you know, a local builder that has a small crew, they are really likely to get impacted negatively. 
in the midst of a recession. And that's really bad. You get a small local builder trying to build your house and he only builds, you know, maybe a, a dozen homes a year or however it might be. He does, that's not like, he's not one of these builders that's building hundreds of, of homes a year. It's going to be really bad if that builder goes under. And, and it's going to start with that their customer service plummets and that things start going poorly, that their subs start doing a really bad job, that they don't show up when they're supposed to be there. And then it's just going to bottom out from there. Um, so be careful selecting your builder. Um, number six, <laughs> and the way I worded this might sound a little bit funny, but assume the worst of your HOA. If you're moving into a community has an HOA, assume the worst. It's not a bad idea to ask for their books to see how are they doing financially. Now, that's not the end-all be-all, but um, if, if we're talking about a community that has an expensive HOA, and then you come in there and you look at their books and it turns out, oh man, not only are we having to pay $180, $200 a month for this HOA, which in, in this area is expensive, but they don't have hardly any money in their cash reserves. Their pool needs to be resurfaced really quickly. Um, you're looking at the potential for your HOA fees to have to, to start going way up. Um, you're looking at the possibility of needing special assessments where you're having to pay in addition to your normal HOA. You want to be careful when you're going into a recession that you that you minimize the possibility for unexpected costs. An HOA is one of those organizations that can create extra costs that you don't want. Um, and an HOA that's not doing well financially or not doing well in other ways can be a, a really big problem in this type of environment. Because here's what happens, right? Why specifically a recession? That's always a problem. Well, specifically in a recession is people stop paying their HOA dues. And then the HOA ends up running into a situation where they don't have a whole lot of money. And then they start getting into financial problems. They don't have the cash reserves to pay it. One thing leads to another. You end up in, 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 a, in a bad situation. So keep that in mind. Assume the worst of your HOA. Try to get as much data as possible about an HOA. Understand that's not, again, that's not the end-all be-all. I, I think it's more, this is more true of communities that have expensive HOAs like HOA is in excess of $100 a month. Um, but in those instances, you want to make sure that you have as much information as possible so that you don't end up footing the bill for other people in the community who end up not being able to pay. Um, lesson number seven, don't be afraid of going the condo uh, or townhouse route. Condos and townhouses between 2008 and 2010 um, did pretty well overall. They, they were very stable in terms of their value. And, and that has continued to this day from 2010 to 2020. They tend to not go up way in value in this area, and they tend not to go down way in value in this area. Now, I'm talking in broad terms. Obviously, those really expensive condos, townhomes in downtown Greenville... I would be cautious with those because there's tons of those being built. But in general, 
those you know, 150, 200, $250,000 townhomes and, and condos, those are most likely going to stay pretty similar in value over the next few years. So it's a low risk, also low reward type of purchase. If you're like, you know what, I'm okay doing this for a few years and I'm also okay with this not really appreciating in value a whole lot as long as I'm guaranteed it won't go down in value a whole lot. Uh, going the condo or townhouse route might be a good option for you. It depends on, on the community. It depends on a lot of other factors. But a lot of people don't realize that in general, on an, on an average, that they stayed pretty stable during the worst, in, in terms of their value, during the worst part of the recession in 2008 in this area. So just keep that in mind. Um, that was number seven. Number eight, beware of being the largest home in the neighborhood. Beware. If, if you're buying a home, maybe not the absolute largest, but one of the largest in the neighborhood, be careful with that strategy. And here's why. Here's what we see. You go into a neighborhood that has homes that range from 1,500 square feet to 3,000 square feet. What ends up happening all the time is the smaller homes keep the value down on the bigger homes. Why? Well, because in that neighborhood, probably the average home is smaller. And so what ends up happening is those smaller homes might sell for $150 a square foot. And those homes that are that are the largest in that neighborhood are going to end up selling for a lot less than that because nobody wants to buy a home for $450,000 in a neighborhood that has homes selling in the 200,000s. Like that you know, that doesn't even make a whole lot of sense when you just look at it from the surface. So you need to understand that a lot of buyers aren't going to be considering the other factors. They're just going to look at this neighborhood and say, oh man, um, there are some people just one street over that sold their house recently for $225, and this guy has his house listed for, for $450? And they're not even looking at the fact that it's double the square footage, so it makes sense what, that it would be double the price. All they're looking at is those numbers, and I can assure you, that house that is $450, they are not going to get anywhere near that. They're going to get in uh, below $400. They're going to end up in the $300s because we don't see that type of disparity. And um, it, 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 you're taking on some substantial risk if you're buying one of the largest homes in a neighborhood. Number nine, beware of neighborhoods that are already struggling. Let me tell you. You can, you can go into a neighborhood right away and see if it's struggling. You see siding falling off the side of the house. You see roofs that are clearly beyond uh, the point of needing to be replaced. You see cars that, that are just old and, and, you know, clearly they also need to be replaced. There's a lot of things that you can do when you go into a neighborhood to see if it's struggling or not. You see lawns that need to be mowed that are like way past the point of needing to be mowed. You see windows that are broken. Like all of these things are little signs that a neighborhood is struggling. And if it's struggling now, 
when things have been really, really good up until just recently, imagine what's going to happen if we go into a major recession. Like, a bunch of those people, they're going to foreclose. That neighborhood is going to plummet in value. You're going to see a major problem in terms of, uh, of your home appreciating value. It's probably not going to. It's probably going to end up going down in value because all of your neighbors are bringing your home down in value, no matter what you end up doing to it. So look not just at the home, not just at the comps, Look at the neighbors, particularly on the street that that home is on. Um, but look in the community as a whole. How is this community doing? Do these people buy above their means and now they're having to cut corners on their lawn by by having an old expired roof, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it clear that that there's pride in, owner, in home ownership in this community? Everyone is able to afford what they need to afford to, to keep up with their homes, to keep up with the community. This community is doing well. That has a huge impact on you and your home value. Last but not least, number 10 here. Target neighborhoods that aren't sexy but have desirability for other reasons, okay? And... What I mean by aren't sexy, um, neighborhoods that maybe you haven't really heard of or that um, they don't have the, the prettiest homes, the, the, the greatest curb appeal of, of anywhere in the upstate, but they are they have other reasons why you should be interested in them. All right, so what are some of those other reasons that you might be interested in them? Well, one would be good grocery stores. Um, that's kind of an underrated way to assess an area. Grocery stores know the direction that uh, they know the the direction of the economy in that area. They know the direction that the population in that area is going. Um, and listen, I'm not going to get into what are the good grocery stores, what are not the good grocery stores. You know, uh, a grocery store that has more upscale type of items that focuses more on clients that are willing to pay more money, those grocery stores tend to be in areas that are going to do better. So if you don't know a whole lot about how to assess a market, look at the grocery stores. Look at the school districts, okay? Homes that are in good school districts are going to do well overall. Even when the a recession hits, Still, they still have other reasons why people want to go there. There's still going to be appeal. And, and this is part of why uh, downtown areas tend to get hit, because they tend to not have, uh, oftentimes, are not in very good school districts. Because they have appeal in, in other ways. People are not moving downtown Greenville, typically because of the schools. Um, well, when a recession hits... All of those other areas uh, and reasons that people are moving there kind of go by the wayside. And now you have families looking to move and it's like, okay, where are the good school districts? Where are the good areas? Those tend to do better in a recession. Those are, are the neighborhoods that you want to target. Look for neighborhoods that have established homeowners, not just a bunch of, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't want to uh, stereotype, 
I got to be careful with what I say. But, um, you know, a bunch of people that have just joined the workforce and that don't have a lot of money saved up and they and you can tell that they bought at the very top end of their budget. We've already kind of discussed this a little bit. Those neighborhoods are, are at risk. You get a neighborhood that has people that have been in the workforce for a long time, that have stable jobs, that they're not going to get laid off, that um, they've lived in these homes for six, seven, eight, nine years. Those are the neighborhoods that are going to weather the storm. You get neighborhoods that have a ton of turnover where people are, are moving every one, two, three years, those neighborhoods aren't going to do as well in the recession. And sometimes it can be tricky to, to, to figure all of that out. Obviously, you don't want to just stereotype based on the people that you meet in the neighborhood. Look at the data. Look at, at how often these homes are turning over, how frequently they go for sale, what percentage of the homes in the neighborhood go to sale. There's a lot of information you can get um, that's just raw data that doesn't require any stereotyping. Um, an, another example would be a home that doesn't have a ton of new construction. And again, the new construction neighborhoods, those are the sexy ones. You know, they're introducing all of these different types of technology, smart thermostats, all this kind of stuff. Those neighborhoods are going to get hit the hardest. The ones that are established, that were built 40, 50 years ago, those are gonna be the ones that typically weather the storm the best because they already have the infrastructure. There's not a bunch of new construction going up there. You don't want to be in an area, in a neighborhood, where there's all kinds of new construction going up because what happens? You're gonna have a bunch of homes that have just been built that nobody is able to afford now. And so you go to an area where everything has already been built, right? Like an east side Greenville type of area. There's not a lot of new construction in east side Greenville. Um, that's, that's great. Now you know that there's not going to be a situation where the market starts uh, getting flooded with homes that nobody can afford. And so that will help your home value overall. And... Um, Another, another example, but I'm not going to get too in the weeds on this, of a type of neighborhood that, that wouldn't be sexy or a type of house that wouldn't be sexy uh, or that, uh, that would be sexy but wouldn't have the desirability in other ways. Watch out for homes that have all kinds of these cutting-edge features that, um, that might be, not be in vogue in a few years. We don't exactly know, for instance, the, uh, exactly where solar is going to go. In general, in the Greenville area, solar has not done very well. Solar is, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of issues that people have with, with their solar panels, but specifically the, the contracts that people end up signing where they don't own the solar panels, they're just leasing the solar panels from the solar companies, and they're having to pay both for the panels and then also having to pay for the solar energy that they're using. Um, those are, are lease agreements that can damage the value of your home. Not to mention that then when you change your roof, you've got to factor in the solar panels as an additional expense. There's all kinds of different things some companies out there that aren't good with installing them have caused roof issues. Um, so 
don't just jump on uh, on the sexiest trend. Again, sometimes in when we're going into uh, an uncertain economic environment, the best thing you can do is just go with tried and true. Here is a brick ranch with a newer roof, nothing sexy about it, in a neighborhood, in an area that doesn't have a lot of new construction going up because there's not no longer any room for any new construction. Um, great grocery stores, good school district. That's the neighborhood you want to target that has the least amount of risk. And that's it. Those are the 10 lessons, the top 10 lessons from 2008 on how to weather the storm, how to survive a recession, how to mitigate your risks. Don't mitigate all of your risks because if in a recession, the best real estate deals are what come on the market. And we've been waiting for a long time for the market to shift more in the buyer's direction. So let's not throw up our hands and get discouraged if that happens, but we need to be cautious and we need to be careful we need to, some of these 10 things apply to some people more than to others. And so keep them all in mind. Consider your situation where you are financially and make good decisions from there. And so with that, that's a wrap. Again, my contact information in the show notes. Please reach out to me if you need a realtor, if you have questions about real estate. That's why I'm here and we'll see you next time.